Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. want to tell you about one of the great sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network, and that is Texas Roadhouse, specifically the Texas Roadhouse in Miramar, right off of I-75 on Miramar Parkway. We were all there last Friday night for our first Dolphins watch party. We had more than 75 people there, lots of hosts, lots of sponsors, lots of listeners. Great time. They gave us the back bar, and they provided some great food for us in addition to drink specials. We want you to go there when we're not having a party, though, also. I'm always there every Tuesday night for Kids Night. It's a great deal, and it's a great time. You get a $1.99 kids meal with the purchase of an adult meal. They also got someone making balloons. They've got arts and crafts. Sometimes they have a magician. Sometimes Andy the Armadillo shows up. It's just a great time if you have a family. So check out the Texas Roadhouse in Miramar. Again, right off of I-75 on Miramar Parkway. Welcome into the latest episode of the Five Reasons Podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick here, as always, with Chris Winningham. Now that you have found us, make sure that you subscribe. It might say subscribe on your favorite platform. It also might say follow. The reason that you want to do that is you will get access to all of the old episodes. They're all still there. They're all still free. And you will also get access to every new episode as soon as it posts, as long as you have your notifications on. Also, make sure you check out heatbeatmiami.com. We just hired... Three additional writers to go along with Nikias Duncan as other outlets in this market are scaling back on the heat. We are scaling up and we've got new content there. And we're also going to have some news about another website coming up soon. All right. Last week, we brought on Leroy, Leroy Horde from the one to three show. And Leroy did a very serviceable job on here, Tobin. He went through five topics very quickly. He gave us his strong opinions. He pissed a lot of people off. That's what we like from Leroy. Now we're actually going to the host of the show, Brendan Tobin. You can follow him at Brendan underscore Tobin. I found out today, Tobin, that when you tag you just as Brendan Tobin, you get somebody in Australia. But we've got Brendan Tobin here uh, for the next 40 minutes or so. And what we want to do here with Brendan is go through some of your hottest takes. And to me, you are the hottest take artist right now at any of the local radio stations. I, I don't even who, who would actually be competition. I don't know. It's tough to feel like anybody's in my class right now. I don't even focus on who's behind me in hot takery. You know, it's just one of those things where I got people up to get on my level. Get out of here, you bums. Just a bunch of, just a bunch of bums in the studio. Everybody knows it. Uh, I would say yeah, I would say I'm number one and two. Mm. I, I mean, you know, Zach Duarte's all right. He's on the weekends every now and then. Yeah, he's, he's got some kooky things going on. I'm going to throw I'm gonna throw Big O out there. I mean, he has... Some hot takes, as I'll tell Big O when he's on the show with us this week. Um, they're about thirty. Big O brings fire. He does. They're about thirty years dated in some cases, um, but they're hot. But we want to start here, number one, with some of your hottest heat takes. And I know that of anybody down here, you are the biggest believer in Pat Riley's ability to get a whale, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you did. You do the whole thing on IG. Every time there was anything on social media that you could put up there indicating that maybe the Heat had a chance. You threw it out there. You threw. You were the one more than anybody who threw the false hope 
to Heat fans this offseason. Like, Whittingham is the complete opposite. Everything is awful. You're like, everything is awesome. So I just went to Legoland, so that's kind of on my mind. <laughs> but but uh, why is Pat Riley having such difficulty getting a whale, in your opinion? Well, I think the thing that it has to start with is you have to realize that when the original whales were, were gotten, how rare it was, especially in free agency. And so, you know, Heat fans all come from the standpoint of, oh, my God, he's lost it. He's lost his edge. He doesn't know what he's doing anymore. It's just like, I think it's just this thing of a, of a young generation of Heat fans that think that's just how it's going to be. We're Miami. We're supposed to get LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh to all play together, where it's really like you're giving a bunch of young, unencumbered kids crack for the first time and they don't know how to deal with it anymore so then you throw them some real cut down version and it turns out being Dion Waiters and James Johnson they somehow start lashing out at at the drug dealer and so that's the problem is just Riley just gave you the purest form of it too early on but I believe in it just because it's worked before like he's gotten the best of the best so I wouldn't doubt his ability to go do it again with the whole Kawhi thing the reason I thought that went down is because kind of harkens back to what he's done before where he's gotten disgruntled guys and I thought that was right up their alley I thought that they would be an organization that would bet on themselves would give away the young pieces to go get somebody of his caliber because Riley said it I mean he's like yeah what are draft picks other than to go get proven veteran guys so you know when you start reading out of San Antonio that it wasn't that he wasn't just happy with his playing time or his role of the culture there I thought that the thing that was most intriguing was that he wasn't happy with his status as a star. So I figured, all right, this guy wants to be in a glamorous market. This is what Riley usually pounces on. It seemed to make pretty perfect sense to me. I mean, I figured once the way it's gone in the NBA with guys getting disgruntled and then getting their way of getting out, and then really teams not getting that much for said disgruntled star, it didn't even seem like that big of a leap. It just seems like every Heat fan's beaten down now because you didn't get Kevin Durant and Gordon Hayward. But the thing, though, is that you're, you are kind of saying competing things, which is you're saying that the Heat fans are entitled and spoiled off of the big three, but then you're saying that they are in for everyone. And I think if we are to continue this illicit drug metaphor, then you are, uh, you are promising the very best and the purest stuff, whereas I am offering you Willy Wonka pixie dust. The reason why I try and keep expectations down is because I think you are fueling this sense that oh, we're, we're going to get the next guy. Even, even if we don't necessarily have anyone right now that we're going to get the next guy. And while logically, I think I, I, I agreed with you, and I think, by the way, that if the Heat wanted to go for him, they could have pulled off the Kawhi Leonard trade. Like, you know, Goran Dragic and two or three young guys is pretty similar to what they ended up getting anyway. But I'm just curious, when you're saying that, that the fans' expectations are raised to an unreasonable degree, you're then fueling them. You're almost kind of like trading off it. Is that is that a fair assessment? No, it's not fair because what you're doing is not having fun, and I'm out here having fun, man. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to just just wheel and deal a little bit. We're out here just talking about all right. If you want your team to go to this elite level, and we know that Riley has that expectation of going to get elite guys, you have to really look across the landscape of the NBA and think who are the actual game changers. You know, like when Heat fans are out here and they're upset because you don't get Gordon Hayward. I get it. Like, he's a nice player, and I'm sure he's going to make the Celtics better this year, but is he a game-changer in actually making you a contender? When you see that this is an actual opportunity to go get a guy like him, that, I would say, for Pat Riley, would be one of those ones where he would go all-in because I think this is one of the few handful of guys in the league that actually 
changes your ability to contend in the league. I mean, it's hard as it is right now because of how dominant Golden State is. But from my standpoint, I thought that, all right, if they are going to go from this this whole little package of role guys with a couple of young guys, if he was going to make the gamble on somebody, that's somebody that I would think he would do that because that's been the philosophy of him his entire being on the heat is he likes to go all in. Is it likely that you go get these guys? No. I mean, in the history of the franchise, it's not like how many, they, how many, how many game changing guys have they had? I mean, the deals have been Shaq drafting Dwayne and having the free agent class of LeBron. So in 30 years, it's not likely, but if we're, if we're going to sit here and talk about how you make your team better to me, that was, that was the warp speed mode to go do it. I know, uh, Brendan, that you know Chris has a reputation for not having any fun on the Heat, but I'm going to side with him on one thing here, which is I, I totally get what you're saying about there are only so many game-changing guys. I think there are only like five or six in the whole league, honestly. And two of them are guys we're going to probably talk about a lot over the next couple of years, which are Anthony Davis and, and Giannis. Like, those are whales. Kawhi is a whale. There, there's only a handful. I don't know that Kyrie Irving is a whale. The thing I do agree with Chris about, and we've talked about this a lot here on the pod, is that I'm with you that this is what Riley does best. It's getting in the room and going for the whale. And so do you, I don't have any earthly idea why he did what he did last summer. I don't get it because it cuts against everything that he's ever done. And to me, it's one of the worst summers he's ever had with the heat. And when you look at, I'm totally with you about, you know, heat fans are spoiled. I get that. What Riley said about there being sort of a big three fan culture and then, Another fan culture. I see that on Twitter every day. You see that too. You know, people who sort of became Heat fans 2010 or even 2008, maybe even 2006, are not the same Heat fans that, you know, have been Heat fans since 1998. It's just a different group. But why do you think he did what he did last summer? What's your explanation for it? I think the biggest explanation was he just, the franchise was at a teetering point in the year that they went on the, when they, when they started off, what was it 11 and 30 or whatever the hell it was? They were, they were at a turning point, and I think if that year would have kept going that year, yeah, it would have gone into complete tank mode. And remember, that was, the, that was the year that started off with them really trying to feature Justice Moore, and then he ended up getting hurt, and you had Dion coming back, and they just started going on this, this crazy run. And so I think with them getting as close as they did, with almost also feeling incomplete because Dion also got hurt at the end of the year, I think there was probably a part of them when they're like, well, man, we're slaying the Golden State Warriors were slaying the Houston Rockets, were going and winning these games. And I think that team genuinely did feel like in the landscape of the Eastern Conference, if they would have gotten in the postseason, they could have done some things. And then you have to really step back and think, okay, well, what really are, like, like we were talking about even, like what are really the game-changing modes for this franchise? Like, is it, are we going to be the team that, that starts going into tank mode and we're going to try and roll the dice on the lottery? Well, it's never been, the philosophy of the franchise. They tried that once. It ended them up with Michael Beasley. And, you know, Riley was, you know, leaving Rothstein, holding the bag, coaching a 15-win team while he had to go and figure out who was going to be his, his golden guy. And they ended up, you know, trading the guy in two years. So I just think that the reason he probably went and did it is because it's been the philosophy of the team, of the franchise forever. It's been compete. And if this is going to be a, a league that is run by one team, which right now, it looks like it is. It's going to be run by Golden State for the while. If you're just playing for second place at that point, should you be in the scenario where they're going to lose every single, they're going to go out there with the, with the shot of losing games or, or actually go out there and compete? And I think Sam himself and Mickey probably looked at the scenario and are like, man, if, if we're the franchise that goes in the tank, is this, is this a market that can survive that? Are we going to be a, a, a team that was a couple of years ago 
on top of the world. And then all of a sudden we're completely packing it in because of a couple things that didn't go our way. Or are we going to try and compete? And maybe along the way they'll find the pieces and they'll find guys that'll turn and then they will find that disgruntled star that gets them back on top. And I think that they went with that scenario because I feel like in, in their minds, it's a scenario that's more in their control. How much is in your control when you are betting on ping pong balls and 19-year-olds? All right, so let's move on to the next thing that you've got with the Heat before we get to some of the other teams. Uh, you started a campaign. You're very good at campaigns. Um, but now you've started a campaign, which I think is a noble one. Uh, Chris may not agree, but I'm totally on board with this. Uh, a Dwayne Wade Boulevard in Miami. And I actually posed this after a conversation at our Five Reasons watch party at Texas Roadhouse uh, last week, plug, which was a question that we were talking about there, which was who gets a statue first in Miami? Is it Pat Riley or is it Dwayne Wade? And secondarily, how do you get this Wade Boulevard thing going? Well, all your listeners can go and retweet uh, my official proclamation, which I've made on Twitter. You guys can find that at Brennan underscore Tobin. And I think that will get the city of uh, Miami. And I don't even know who's responsible for it. It's the city or the the county. Quite frankly, they both should be responsible for it and just make this decision right now. Because, look, I don't know what's going on with Dwayne Wade. I don't know what the philosophy is uh, for him waiting this long, if they're haggling over money or whatnot. I happen to think it's probably there are legitimate questions from his standpoint where he's just like, I don't know if I want to come to this situation especially with Deion Waiters coming back and, and see how that goes. But if we are going to show Dwayne the love, if it can only be done so much financially, I think that he should get Biscayne Boulevard named after him. And I'm not talking just in front of the arena. I think all of it. I think for all he's done for this city, for all the feel good that he's given us, and I think we were reminded of that with his return last year, just do it now. Let's just, let's just change Biscayne Boulevard. It's a stupid name anyway. It should be named after him. Like I'm driving in for the morning show and I see that Dan Marino has a road named after him. That's cool. It's, it's a nice little tip of the hat that you usually do for somebody after their career, just to add on. It's like, Oh, Dan, he got the statue. He got the name. He got the number retired. Now he's got the road. Why not just have Dwayne Wade get his own damn street right in front of the arena this season. So when they're coming in and they're introducing coming to you live from American airlines arena on Dwayne Wade Boulevard, Who's going to say no to that? You're going to have to come back. It's your own damn road. And he deserves it, quite frankly. Uh, out of all the people down here, I don't know who half of these roads are named after. I'm sure they're boring old historical figures. I'd like to have a road named for somebody I actually know. In fact, Miami traffic sucks. So I figure what would be fantastic is if I am stuck on a certain road, at least I'm stuck on Dwayne Wade Boulevard. Way better than Biscayne. Biscayne just sounds like a headache. And if he gets it, where does this game run? Does it go? Does it go like all the way up Florida? Where does Biscayne end? I, I, I think, well, no. Does Biscayne becomes federal, right? Yeah, yeah it just becomes point. US 1. Yeah. It, right. Like, it, become, it, it becomes it, US I, 1. I don't know where. I know that, like, Biscayne is a major artery, like, where I live. So, like, I'm pretty far north from American Airlines Arena. I think it ends when it, like, crosses Aventura. And I think it's, it stops being Biscayne and it starts being uh, US one. But uh, yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're giving away a large Perfect. piece of Miami uh, driving real estate for Dwayne Wade Boulevard. Yeah. And I think everybody, I just don't think anybody's ever thought of it. I think that they look at this and they're just like, Oh yeah, yeah no, it's Biscayne Boulevard. Cause it's been that forever. But how, how easy would that be changed? First of all, it's just a few screws. You just got to change on some lights. That's no big deal. And then Google maps going to update that in like three seconds. Yeah. I mean, quite, it, it, it'd be no hassle at all. And how is he going to say no to that? 
a, a statue. Forget statue. You got you got all this road driving <laughs> we, on your we, own we road. Did, we did we did name an entire expressway after Don Shula. I'll tell you this, Tobin. It'll be a very high usage road. I mean, Whittingham will certainly <laughs> attest to that. So I, I I think it's appropriate actually for Dwayne. It'll hold you there for a little while. Won't won't allow you to go anywhere else. So I I think it's a great idea. Uh, and I'm with you not just on this concept. Did I laugh a little too hard at that? No, I, I know, but that's why I said it. Um, <laughs> I knew you would. But uh, I'm with you, Tobin, too, on what the holdup is here with him because I've heard a couple of different things. I know people have talked money, and I know that played into it. I've heard years has something to do with it. But also, they haven't done anything to clean out the roster for him. Like, I, I don't know where he fits, Brendan. Like, if he yeah. comes back, they have five two guards on the roster if you're going to put Josh Richardson there. He cannot play with Deion Waiters. I, that will be a disaster that's just that's just not going to work so and he's already had some challenges playing with Goron over the years so uh, to me them not being able to clear out either Dion or Tyler makes it challenging to figure out where Dwayne's going to play unless he's sort of backup point guard behind Goron and then plays with him in a three guard lineup down the stretch with Josh like but then Dion's on the bench and and Dion's real value to you, you know, a couple of years ago was what he did in clutch moments. So I just don't know where the spot is for him. So I would bring him back because I think, you know, they need him, honestly. Like when I, not from a basketball standpoint, but just from a face of the franchise standpoint, like when I put on five reasons sports, who's the face of the heat? 70% still said Dwayne Wade at age 36. I mean, none of these other guys have emerged as that. So that's the big issue for me is that the heat not only, you know, made mistakes last summer, but now they haven't been able to get out of any mistakes. And I think it does make it more challenging to bring Dwayne back. And they're also at this weird turning point, too, with, you know, how much are the young guys going to start stepping up? How much more responsibility are they going to get? Um, you know, Riley talked about that at the end of the year press conference where it's just like, you know, this team kind of needs a hierarchy. And it felt like on any given night, it was in this, it was, it was, you just never knew who was going to be the guy. And I think they really need to establish on this team, okay, who, who are the guys? And when Dwayne's here, uh, he certainly is going to be the guy late, but how is that going to affect the development of a Josh Richardson or Justice Winslow or any of these guys taking steps up? Um, and yeah, like, and I don't know what it is with Goran and him, why that's never worked out. It doesn't feel like they should clash, um, but it, for whatever reason, when, when, when Goran's there, he, he seemingly just goes into corner mode when, when Dwayne is, has the game late. And uh, But it, it, on the other side of it, he was he was still winning you games late. He was still winning you playoff games on the road last year. So it's not like he's this complete bum either. That should be just cast aside. He was important for him last year. I don't I don't know how this is going to get all resolved. I feel like he is going to come back at least for one more run. But um, I would think that in the midst of this year, Ethan, if it's not going to – it doesn't seem like these mistakes are getting clear, but i got to think that they're going to do anything they can, not only just because of a basketball reason, but for the tax reason, that they've got to – that one of those one of those guys, either if it's Dion or if it is TJ, uh, one of them have to be gone by the end of the year. Hey, this is Gary and Thorne, host of Fantasy on Five on the Five Reasons Sports Network. Draft season is growing ever closer on the fantasy football calendar, and we are preparing you twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, for those big drafts. If you weren't listening to the show this week, here's what you missed. Jackson is, is a complete bust. He's a fade. I wouldn't even think about him. He's one of those guys that I would only play in DFS and maybe take a flyer in a standard league if he continued to drop down the board come draft day. I want the upside and the young, fresh, talented Godwin who's got some hands, 
Again, check out Fantasy on 5 with myself and David Ganos every Tuesday and Thursday on the 5 Reasons Sports Network. All right, so let's get to the next part of this. And I was going to talk Dolphins with you, but I think what some people who don't listen to you regularly may not know is, is you are not a Dolphin fan, but you are the one person that I know of who was a Jaguar fan before they got good again. Do you know anybody else in the media? This is like a unicorn type thing. I learned, uh, you know, Jess Blaylock, who does the Marlins. Yes. She is from Jacksonville. She is a she is a Jaguars fan at all. And when we ever, whenever we see each other, it's the only person I can get to, can talk Jags with. But other than that, none. And so now there's actually a reason to follow them. Um, and that's not just the fact that the team was good last year, but also Jalen Ramsey won't shut up. And I just, I mean, you talk about hot takes. Like, I mean, he's got to take about every single quarterback in the league to the point that Matt Stafford's wife is responding to him and saying he's not very GQ, which seemed a little bit coded to me. But anyway, what do you think of all the talking that he's been doing? Are you on his side with this stuff? I love it. I love, I love that this guy, I'm sure I'd hate him. Like whatever market I was hosting a show in, if they ripped my guy, I would sure that that Jalen Ramsey gave them fodder or gave them reinforcement on how they feel. Um, so I, I went into that Jalen Ramsey piece excited because I like hearing Jalen Ramsey, you know, talk a lot of mess. I mean, it's what he's great at. I mean, he caused AJ Green to put him in a chokehold in the midst of last year. He doesn't stop talking bleep the entire season, the entire games. It's I mean, hell, he was talking bleep to the reporters. He got suspended by the team. He doesn't. He doesn't stop talking, and I love it. Um, the thing I was excited about, though, is, as somebody who hosts a show down here, is great. If he's giving an opinion on everybody, what is he going to give on Ryan Tannehill? And I get to his answer on Tannehill, and he's just like, I don't know anything about him. <laughs> what? <laughs> nothing? You, you, nothing? You talked mess about everybody. Flacco, uh, Stafford, Josh Allen, who you've never even seen play. Everybody's getting it, it completely either eviscerated or at least given a little bit of a nod. Like Philip Rivers, he's like, yeah, he's all right. But but the only guy he gave you nothing on on the record was Ryan Tannehill. Just like, don't know him, haven't watched his games. I'm just like, man, uh, how is the guy who has an opinion on everything? He doesn't even know what Ryan Tannehill is at this point. And it, it almost felt too, in a way, it almost felt too perfect on how we all kind of are with him that we all think he's got the capabilities of being good in the right situations. We don't really know what that ceiling is. Some people think he's just trash. He's probably not trash, but he's probably a little bit above fine. We don't really know. And not even the biggest bleep talker in the league will give you anything on him, which I find I found wildly frustrating. But uh, yeah, like, I like having these guys in the league. I like Jalen Ramsey uh, being on the team that I root for. I'm sure if I wasn't a Jaguars fan, I'm sure I would hate everything that he was saying but I am. And so, so I, I, I enjoy it very much, but it's not just him, right? It's kind of that entire defense that all of a sudden found its voice and found its dominance last year. I mean, part of it was playing a bad division, but they get all the way to the conference championship game. And for three quarters, they probably would have won it. And if not for having Blake Bortles at quarterback, they probably would have gone and maybe even won the Super Bowl. So as a Jacks fan, you have to be immensely confident that a lot of those guys are coming back and that uh, this sort of collection of talent has now resulted in what is a hugely powerful and dominant defense. It is awesome. Uh, you do feel confident. The, the one thing with Bortles that I find completely strange is like that defense is, is very, very honest, and yet they all protect him so much. Whatever they can do to, to make Blake Bortles feel great, 
And I don't understand that because I feel like if it was any other position, like feelings would be damned anywhere else. But because he's the quarterback, it's like, oh, no, 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 no. Blake's, you know, he's doing his thing. It's like, no, he's not. He's not doing his thing. His thing is ruining this. You guys probably have a run of two and a half years here because defenses flame out really, really quickly. And he's going to, he's going to blow this for you. He blew it last year. And I feel like going into this week, I'm like, all right, well, they should go trade for Teddy Bridgewater because Blake Bortles is going to ruin this some one way or another. But yet they won't acknowledge that. It's a weird thing. They're like, nah, you know, Blake's, you know, you guys give Blake too hard a time. And I'm sitting here and I'm telling you, no, we don't. He, he threw 35 times. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami Heat game? I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy. I went through some life changes, major life events, had some difficulties, wasn't a believer in therapy, but it helped me and it can help you also. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Miami Heat. Touchdowns one year. It was all in trash time. We knew he was trash then. We know he's trash now. He's the worst thing on the team, and he's the only thing that's ruining their chances at a Super Bowl. So I don't know what that is, why there's this different accountability with him or why you got to be more protective with him, but there is. I, I, it's, it's strange to me. And, and they're all saying like, well, you didn't bring any competition. No, in fact, we're going to give him two years. Two years? Why not one year? What, what is that reward that he gets? For, you know, I don't know if you, if you guys remember from the AFC Championship, they lost that game because they ran out of plays for him. How does that happen for a professional quarterback at the highest game? When you have dominated the best quarterback for three and a half quarters and your guy runs out of plays, it's maddening. And I don't know, I don't know how they do it without hurting his feelings because they seemingly don't want to hurt his feelings. But this is eventually going to end in him ruining it again, and you're going to eventually have to hurt his feelings. So why not just do it now? Has there been a Jags quarterback you've trusted since Purnell? Nope. Okay. Not even that on. one season that David <laughs> Garrard took you to the playoffs? Nope. Oh, okay. Byron Leftwich. Did have that good run. Byron Leftwich. Oh God, no! God, no! <laughs> I love Byron Blaine Gabbert. <laughs> Blaine Gabbert, the worst of them all, by the way. Yeah. Leftwich. Leftwich is the slowest. He's got to be the slowest NFL quarterback of all time, right? Like just. Uh, I mean, in terms we, of, we did have Dan Marino play in this city. Uh, so. that's 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 true. But the release was fast. All right, let's move on to the next one with your toe. I'm gonna ask you a very simple question to start this off. Uh, you're very well known to Marlins fans because of that stunt that you pulled with Yelich. Uh, last year, the challenge, uh, 20 home runs and all that, and Yelich does it, and you end up eating crow. Just throw this at you. Do you trust Derek Jeter? Nope. Here's why I don't trust Derek Jeter. I don't trust the idea that Derek Jeter comes down here with magic pixie dust and can sprinkle his captaincy on the Marlins and think that's what get it, gets it fixed. And I don't deny that he inherited a dumpster fire. He did. He, he, he inherited a terrible situation 
and I get it. You you wanted to to clear the decks and start things with uh, with your own mentality. But you know, I hear these things like, you know, he's he's having the players learn Spanish. There's a captaincy. There there's a captaincy camp. They're all going to learn leadership skills. And I'm sitting here thinking like, well, leadership skills. This guy took the job as you know running the Marlins and wouldn't go to the winter meetings. He went to a football game. So when it came time for him to be the leader of this organization, when reporters were going to ask him about the Giancarlo Stan deal and all the things that were happening, when it wasn't going to look so great on Derek Jeter, when he couldn't do some magical PR puff piece that was going behind him, he didn't show up. And so where's the leadership in that? So I would hope that Derek Jeter, who I've read in the past, doesn't like baseball that much, didn't really seemingly want this role. Like he wanted to be here. He almost wanted to be uh, in the shadows of just, I'm the owner. I'm, I'm the owner and other people are going to do his job. But he had no money. So like, well, geez, if you're going to have a big role here, it's going to be that you're going to have to input on the baseball side. And so I just worry about how much he actually wants to do this, how much he's embracing it. Um, and so that's why I don't necessarily trust. It didn't even really have anything to do with the fire sale or letting guys go. He kind of knew that was coming. I don't like how he spun it like, oh, Giancarlo Stanton didn't want to be part of this. It's like, no, man, that's, that's, some, that's some press conference jujitsu you did there. That doesn't make sense. What you, what you basically implied was if he's going to be here, no one's going to be here with him. So what is he supposed to say? They want to be part of a rebuild. They want to be part of a terrible team. So I don't trust Derek Jeter. It doesn't mean Derek Jeter can't get this done. It doesn't mean Derek Jeter, um, you know, isn't, isn't going to be fantastic at this role. But I'm not going to give him the benefit of the doubt because he's Derek Jeter. I don't care. I mean, Derek Jeter forever was winning gold gloves. And it was all because he had a deal with Rawlings. Like he did one jump throw a year and dove into the stands. And all of a sudden, people gave him through Rosebells. Oh, he's the captain. Oh, we love the captain. He's clutch. I don't know. I, don't, I guess because I'm not a Yankees fan, I don't buy into that stuff with him. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't mean anything to me with him. But um, yeah, man, there, there, there was one point this year where I felt good about Jeter, and it was around All Star time. He was doing one of those in game interviews, um, and I liked when he was starting to take ownership of the current players like Real Muto and Brian Anderson. Hashtag the groundskeeper. Um, but up until up until that point, I was just like, does he even want to do this? Because it doesn't, it doesn't. It feels like he's just here to, you know, do photo ops with DJ Khaled and Pitbull. Uh, I don't, I don't really get what he's here for. If you had him on your show, Tobin, would you call him Jeets? Um, would I call him Jeets? I call him Deadbeat Jeets. <laughs> do you give any credence at all to the idea that this plan might work, though? That he trades Stanton, that he trades everyone, and in three years' time, they're going to be good. I mean, yeah, I definitely, it, it definitely could be the chance. That, that that works out. I don't, I don't, I don't, it's it's not that I don't think that eventually Jeter can put people in place here that can make it good. But I mean, you know, baseball's almost become a cyclical like the NFL. Like it's, if you crash and burn, it's going to be pretty impossible for you not to be good in a few years. Like the Braves had 68 wins two years ago. The Cubs were a trash heap that won the World Series. It, it's supposed to be that way. The only thing I can give Jeter credit for is that he's less crazy than Loria. Because that's where, where Loria would burn this thing to the ground. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm stepping in here. I'm not letting my baseball people do anything. And I got this figured out. And then it'd be like, all right, we're going to go with cheap closers. And then we're going to try and pay closers $70 million. Like he just, he never knew where to stay for. So I guess in, in Jeter's benefit, the benefit of having him, 
is that you think you have you have a person who is sane running your organization. So I suppose that is, that is a chance to work out, as opposed to having an absolutely an absolute crazy person running your organization, basically keeping it hostage. All right, let's move on to the next one here, Tobin. Uh, Want to get to some some MMA with you, to some UFC. Um, you do still have that show on, on the weekends. Uh, what is that one called again, Tobin? Tell the people. Fighters Fury, Sundays at 10 a.m. Sundays at 10 a.m. Fighters Fury, uh, you are kind of the resident expert here. And and, I just and, told- and podcast available as well if you want to check that yes. out. Yes, so ch- check that out. That's available in all the places we are, right? You can get that on iTunes, pod, uh, iTunes, Google Play, and all those places. All the places, boys. Thank you for the plug. No problem. That's what we do here. All right, so um, MMA, UFC in particular, can Conor McGregor save it in your view? Because that's the text that you sent me. And I was a little bit surprised that you put it in those stark terms, but I mean, what does he mean to where they are right now? Um, he's everything to them right now. They've had a very, very bad, bad year. The ratings are, the ratings are failing. Nobody's buying pay-per-views anymore. Uh, they have a big star problem and it's, it's all been congruent with him leaving, you know, basically to go box since, since Conor McGregor won his second bout and, you know, probably had the opportunity to take the UFC to an even bigger level. He went, took his orders out of the water and wanted to go box with Mayweather, who could blame him. It was for great riches. But I think the thing that was also uh, a miss for the organization at that time was Dana White left with him. You know, he went on the world tour and he went to go promote this boxing match. And so while Conor McGregor was going to make money for other promotions, along with the UFC, in regards, nobody was really watching the UFC. It was all this idea of, can this bleep-talking Irishman go shock the world and beat Floyd Mayweather? And so, in the midst of that, they've had a lot of a lot of problems of, of nobody's really developed as a star. They've seemed to, I don't know if it is with Dana White, like he seems to almost have a disconnect with the product these days. You know, he made, oh, I think he was on, it was on Fox News last night, he made $360 million when the UFC sold for $4 billion. Um, and it does feel like since he's been gone, or since he made that sale, that He's not quite into it as much as he used to be. He doesn't fight for it as much as he used to be. And so the only guy that really seems to get a buzz anymore from mainstream fans, you know, not the diehards, I'm talking who can actually get people to tune into Sports Center to watch about mixed martial arts, is him. I mean, Connor's, Connor's the guy. And so the only mainstream news that's really surrounded the, the UFC these days has been Connor throwing a, a dolly through a bus window and getting arrested. And then his court case, and now this fight that he's coming back in October fighting Khabib Nurmagomedov. It's 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 a very very important fight for the UFC because you know you have this you have this chance of of Conor being back in the limelight. They're they're projecting that it's going to be the biggest UFC pay per view ever bought. Um, but the, the the thing that's going to be important with this is how are they going to take advantage of of being back in the mainstream spotlight? How is the UFC going to take a, a, an opportunity like this where people care about them? in a way they don't care, haven't cared about them since he's left, um, how are they going to take that and, and become as popular as they were again? Because they just signed a big TV deal with, with ESPN, and I really don't know how that's going to turn out for them. And, I mean, it's good for them that they got it, but I'm telling you, as a guy who, who wants to cover this every single week, it's, it's becoming exhausting because you're watching fights on a near-weekly basis, and you're just like, this isn't, this isn't the caliber of what I, should, of, of what I was watching five years ago. This isn't the caliber of what I was watching a, a couple of years ago. It feels like it's really, really thinning out. To me, the difference between the ESPN hype machine and how the, you know all of their programming is incestuous in promotion can help them out. But you mentioned how McGregor is this 
talking Irishman who has figured out a way to break into the mainstream. It's kind of bizarre to me because why him? Because there is plenty of talking in UFC and in the fight game in general. Why is it, are he and, and Mayweather the ones that have you know especially stood out within their respective sports? And why can't the UFC find more Conor McGregor's, create more Conor McGregor's? That's kind of what they were doing five years ago. Why are the fighters not good enough? Do they lose too often? Are they not ready and willing to be personalities in a way that's required of this sport? Why do you think that that star machine has dried up? Well, here's the thing. It's very easy for the UFC to say they made him, but here's, here's what's very important. He, when he was going out there and he was talking a lot of shit, he was going and backing it up. Like, so for every, every guy he was talking to and, and, and getting into their head, he, he was going into these fights and demolishing them in one round, two rounds. He, you know, and he said, and, and, and these things all start small. Like they all seem very big, and they all feel like it was all created now because of, this is where we are. But you know, I watched that slow rise from him selling out arenas in in Ireland to becoming a number one contender at 145 pounds, to then go winning that belt. And then he said he wanted to go win another belt, and he wanted won that belt too. And then he said he wanted to go fight Floyd Mayweather, and he went, you know, so there's part of that of Conor that has an eerie prediction factor to it like he's able he was able he did foretell all these things and they did come but i think there's another factor with it too and it's the fact that he's irish and what i mean by that is his backing from his nation makes him feel so much bigger than any american fighter on the ufc roster and it's a weird thing that we don't have as americans and fight fans you know for example this is going on right now in the heavyweight division in boxing, where, you know, there's this guy, Deontay Wilder, he's the WBC heavyweight champion. What has always been said about the heavyweight division, why it died? Well, it got taken over. There's no Americans. Nobody knocks anybody out anymore. Um, and nobody's a good talker. This guy's all three of those things. But why doesn't anybody care about him the way they care about McGregor? And it's because we don't back American fighters like we do in England, for example, where they do, where they have the same situation, the Olympian who knocks people out, sells out buildings, very well-spoken. And that's Anthony Joshua. I think with fighting, being international has become so much more of a benefit than it is being a domestic fighter here. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what the secret sauce is to get people to care. Um, you know, there is a different level of fandom over there. And I, Chris, I'm sure you see this with soccer as well. That there's just a there's a different level of care internationally for guys who represent their country than there is here. I don't I don't, I don't know what it is to change that, but it is a huge factor. I think it, it largely has to do with the sporting culture that you don't really have too many exceptional athletes. I feel like America has almost been dulled by how many exceptional athletes that we have, and they're more breaking down, broken down into localities than they are into nationalities. And so you're really proud if your guy from Miami is doing well on the national stage, but it's not quite the same as... Like, imagine if we really got behind every great American that there is in every sport. Like, it'd be exhausting. And so it has kind of been dulled, whereas, you know... Great Britain doesn't really win, you know, huge amounts of gold medals at every Olympics. And so when they get great athletes that are at the very top of their sport, they absolutely get behind them and are, are, are super excited about it. So I, I almost wonder if it's exceptionalism in a way where we don't really get behind the American guy in any sport because Americans are great at a lot of sports. And so there isn't quite that same sense of nationality in the supporting of an athlete. Yeah, I think that, I think that's uh, I think that is a good point. Um 
that we are, and just, yeah, just by nature, we are, you know, divided, I think, a little bit more, too. Like, we'll have guys that are from different parts of the country that we'll want to see do well. And I think there's also a thing with Americans, too, where we won't mind rooting for a guy from another country either. You know, I noticed sure. this a lot with with Mayweather versus Pacquiao that, you know, I don't think there's anybody from the Philippines that would root for Floyd Mayweather in a fight. And there were people who actively wanted Floyd Mayweather to lose that fight to a guy from the Philippines. And back in the I don't even think back in the day, like, you know, I talked to my dad about this. You know, he grew up in the real heyday of heavyweights. He's just like, man, when Ali fought, took over the school. It's just, it's just not like that anymore. I don't know if boxing will ever get back to that. I don't know if American boxing will ever get back to that. But I do think that's uh, that's a big thing with the UFC when they're trying to make stars. The last American one, I mean, Ronda's the only one. I think Ronda's, Ronda's the big example of the huge mainstream American star. And obviously, uh, you know, a big factor is the fact that she was a woman um, and, and that she was the first to do it. But as far as a, a, a male American star, you know, John Jones is, is good, but he's not he's not game changing. I don't think he's a uh, a guy that anybody looks at like that. Um, uh, but yeah, but the list is short. Yeah, I mean, you see this in other sports though too. Um, I mean, in tennis, this has been an issue for years and years and years. Like, what is the last great American? Right? Like, people were people were counting yeah. on Andy Roddick to break through for fifteen years. Right? But, but but I but I think Tobin's point is is that even if there was a great American, right. that we wouldn't really get behind him because he's American. Like, unless he was out here like winning, you know, all four Grand Slams in one season. Like, he it would have to be a like an exceptional level of exceptionalism to really break through. Well, it has to be somebody like John McEnroe who kind of represented the ugly American, but he did represent a certain you know, portion of Americana and people did get behind McEnroe, you know, for a long period of time. But again, tennis hasn't had that figure. Golf obviously has had Tiger, um, but I do agree with the point that we also will root for foreign foreign athletes. I mean, Roger Federer has a huge following in this country. Uh, Nadal has a huge following in this country. So you don't necessarily need to be American. Uh, this is a good time to point out, too because you mentioned Rousey. We have a wrestling podcast here on our network, Smart Your Territory, which we just launched, which actually your friend and fellow uh, 790 co-worker, uh, Jonathan Zaslow, is going to appear on this week. So check out Smart Your Territory. That awesome. That's that's Smart Tweets on Twitter. Um, we have also have a boxing podcast that we launched on Patreon called Out for the Count with Vic Bermudez and Armando Alvarez. And actually on that podcast, Abner Mares called out Gervonta Davis and uh, Floyd – Mayweather uh, put an Instagram uh, post up where he wants to make the fight. So with our little bo boxing podcast, we just started. Nosotros somos Cinco Razones Podcast, el primer podcast en español del network de Five Reasons. Lo que más me gusta y es una de mis cinco razones es that I can speak in English. Everything Miami regarding the sports. Junto a Alejandro Villegas y a Alejandro Soto, yo soy Ricardo Montes de Oca. Bye, have a great time. Cinco Razones, el nuevo podcast aquí con Leandro y Ricardo debatiendo como siempre, llevándonos la contraria. Les va a gustar. Pregúntale a Siri. Siri, would you make... Jose Ureña a closer. Here's what I found. Ah, mira, me, me da, te dio las te estadísticas. Te sí, me da unos lugares que no puedo, no puedo mencionar. <laughs> Enjoy the ride. All right, let's move on to part five, and this is the most important part of this, Tobin. You work on the morning show in addition to hosting one to three, which means you work with Zaslo, you work with Romberg, you work with Amber. But we don't really care about any of them for this because um, we already had Amber on the podcast. Uh, we had a bunch of Romberg stories that were told. Zaslow's going to appear on, on Smart Your Territory. We just care about Slim. 
Um, you work, you work <laughs> with Slim, you work with Slim in the studio. He's one of the hosts of Ballscast. He's at Skinny McGee. Is Slim the most immense talent that you've ever worked with? He is. I, I can I can honestly say that he is. He is uh, he is an audio maestro. He is a he is a savant ear. He will. And, and by the way, if you ever question him, he will he will send you his music credits. Like I, I understand, <laughs> he worked with Gucci Man one time. I get it, man. Thank you. Um, but he, yeah, he he legitimately is like he. You know, we used to make stupid parody songs, and then he comes along, and, it, and like these things sound like they could be top forty hits. It's it's <laughs> it's very incredible. I really do feel like we're wasting him here completely. I, I feel like he could be out there with Rihanna making hit songs, but he chooses to be here, and instead, uh, you know. He decides to make a, you know, Kiko, do you love me instead of Kiki? Um, I don't know. Or, or, your, is, or uh, your, your, your immaculate Duncan Robinson, t- you know, top hit. He, hey, you make fun, you make fun with him, but, but Duncan Robinson loved that song and also loves his new nickname, Duncan Strokinson. So I'm just letting you know that the people are on board. Bam Adebayo loves hashtag Kemp Jordan. Uh, Brian Anderson loves the groundskeeper, so I, I don't know what to tell you. These people wait, are just wait, happy wait, that people what, are giving them nicknames. Do you say Kemp Jordan? What is that? Oh, okay. So he's Kemp Jordan. He's he's a mix of Sean Kemp and Michael Jordan. Oh, I see. Now, I don't here's, know how, here's how that happened. Um, Leroy, when uh, we were talking about getting Bam out of Bayou, um, you know, I had a lot of Kentucky fans say, "Hey, you got a really good player," because I didn't know much about him. But I, I do. I for some reason I have a lot of people who root for Kentucky that I'm that I'm close with and they were very excited about him ending up in the Miami Heat and they said no he was just misused in uh in Kentucky and Leroy we were talking about this on the show and he goes you know some said that about Michael Jordan I said what you said we just got Michael Jordan <laughs> and uh and then Dwayne Casey uh I think he said that this guy's the closest thing he's seen to Sean Kemp in the league because it, I don't I think he was on the Woj podcast so boom there it is hashtag Kemp Jordan there you go and uh, and also, I'm going to need a backstory on the groundskeeper. Oh, he rakes. <laughs> Simple enough. Before we let you go here, Tobin, are you issuing any more challenges to anybody? Um, the Yelich thing, I mean, you got big publicity out of that. You got on ESPN. I think it was like top 10 plays, you eating the crow. Like, is there anybody down here? Why don't you do it here on our podcast? You can do it on Ballscast, too, because Slim's on Ballscast, so you're welcome to do it there also. But... Is there anybody you want to issue a challenge to? Some dare here. Some I mean, there are no really relevant South Florida athletes right now. We're, we're trying to find one, but is there somebody that you want to call out? No, I'm in the same uh, I'm in the same pocket that you guys are in that I I don't really have anybody to call out right now. I mean, the only thing I'm doing right now is beefing with Braves fans for their their uh, their wild witch hunt of uh, Jose Arena. But other than that, no, I'm just going to have to uh, I'm going to have to hold off on that. But I tell you what, I will uh, I will give you guys the exclusive if I think of anything. Right now, it usually has to come down to an athlete that really drives me nuts. And you know, I've had a I've had a good run of that lately down here of athletes who have who have driven me crazy, like whether it was Yelich's baby deer hitting ways or Josh McRoberts refusing to shoot the basketball. Um, just right now, nothing nothing strikes my fancy. Devonte Parker doesn't do it for you. Never being healthy. I mean that that one. I mean you could you should issue a challenge to Devonte Parker to play two straight weeks. You could do that. No, no, no. Devonte Parker doesn't bother me right now. Uh, I it mean, seems, I, it I, seems I, like I Adam Gase bothers super, you sometimes. Well, you know what bothers me about Adam Gase? It, almost like the Jeter thing. Like why why do I trust this guy? I, I I trust him because his entire playoff run was built off a player he didn't want playing in week one. Seemingly every player that he brings in is either a former Bear or a former Bronco. They're always terrible. And I, 
it's just kind of like his sourpuss ways, quite frankly. Like, he is not an enjoyable person to root for. Like, I, I just watch him on the sidelines. Like, this is so miserable with Bill Belichick. I respect his stoic ways. This Adam Gase, I watch him on, on, on the sidelines. And it's like any time there's a penalty or, or something, uh, some kind of miscue on third down, you would have thought, like, somebody shot his puppy. He's so miserable. And I don't know what it is. It's just his face that I don't like right now. It's his face. <laughs> All right, you can catch him one to three every day on seven nine of the ticket. Also, he's producing the morning show along with our, our friend Slim from Ballscast. Follow him at Brendan underscore Tobin, not just Brendan Tobin, Brendan underscore Tobin. We're going to get rid of the squatter on that particular Twitter feed. He's welcome back here anytime. Tobin, we're bringing you back as soon as you want to challenge somebody. You got something for Barkoff. You can throw it on here, whatever you want. But we really appreciate you taking the time. Of course, man. I wish you guys nothing but success. Uh, Love you guys' show. And I'll see you. As you know by now, we're offering a ton of free content across the Five Reasons Sports Network. We've got 13 podcasts, including Swings and Mishes, which is going to be having a great interview with Michael Hill of the Marlins this week. But in addition to that, we're offering something on our Patreon feed. You can get that through Podbean. And basically what we're offering for $5 a month is a ton of additional content. That's content from the different podcasts in our network, short interviews, short commentaries. We call them patron shots. But additionally, we're also having some commentaries and some new podcasts from people in the community. You can check out Chick Chat. That's our new female-oriented concept, talking about all the different sports. Also, we've got a boxing podcast on there called Out for the Count, which, as we mentioned earlier, made a little bit of news this week. And we've got commentaries from Ricky J. Mark, Jordan Perez, and others. So check it out. I tweet it out all day at Five Reason Sports. It's our patron feed for the network. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.